Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome back to Thistle Scottish Rugby podcast i hope you guys are well it's been a little bit of a hiatus but scotland are on their south american tour um they lost to argentina at the weekend so we are back with a bit of a breakfast show to look back over that game and look ahead to the final two tests in argentina um and we i asked a couple of um fans uh on twitter on the way in um for some questions and D Clark 1164 says, why has everything turned to shit? So is that a decent starting point for today's conversation? I feel like when stuff's not turning to shit, that's, that's the oddity, right? I feel like as a Scotland rugby fan stuff, the, the sort of status quo is everything being shit. So maybe it's just a return to the status quo. There's a Matt. How about this one from under the frog? When will it get better? Anything you can add for that? I mean, I think that's the, perennial question for Scottish rugby followers that occasionally it looks like things are about to change but then the familiar failings that familiar gut punch it's it's always just just around the corner unfortunately it's like it's like climbing a Munro so many false summits and then you're like oh my god that the actual top never arrives well we will get into those two questions probably um, as well as some actual analysis of the game shortly as ever thanks very much for joining us and for keeping us company on social media that's on twitter at thistle rugby pod on instagram thistle underscore rugby underscore pod and we've had a little bit of a break on the um, newsletter but that's going to be coming back with a vengeance that's on substack this is scottish rugby podcast so make sure you get yourself onto there and subscribe for all the latest scottish rugby news every monday morning before we jump into Argentina, we thought it wouldn't be a Scottish rugby podcast if we didn't have a bit of a discussion about Mark Dodson. Alan, coming to you, the big man 
has added 18 months onto his contract, which will see him through to about 2025, I think. What did you make of that? Yeah, un- unexpected. I think um, the sort of narrative that they've been sort of pushing is that I think sort of out the back of COVID, they want to bring sort of continuity to the to the SOU. But I know we sort of discussed it on our sort of post-Six Nations wrap-up that it really did feel like, given Dodson had started in 2011, that you had sort of the World Cup 2023, there was kind of like those three World Cup cycles that he'll have gone through. It really did feel like 2023 was a sort of good end point for Dodson to sort of walk away. But clearly the man the man doesn't know how to relinquish power and he's he's here he's here for the long haul. Um so no, I I'd say that in, t- in general the sort of reception from the Scottish public has been mixed. I think mixed would be a charitable interpretation of the reception. Yeah. I, I think ultimately with him, that clearly the strategy is to prioritise the national team and then in doing so, filling out Murrayfield, filling the coffers and then letting that trickle down to the rest of the professional game and, and the age group, age grade game. Um. I just think there's there's a lot of stuff below Scotland to chuck at Dodson, like project players, um, how poor the under-20s have been recently, that some people are just going to always, always dislike that strategy. Um, and I think he's, <laughs> he's clearly an abrasive character, so he's an easy boogeyman for probably quite a lot of structural failings in the game that aren't necessarily his fault. I'd say on the rugby side, clearly they have sort of identified, in terms of the rugby side below the Scotland team and below the pro teams, it does feel like they have identified that as a gap and clearly Malander's got a remit to kind of rebuild that sort of pathway process and, and, and obviously they brought John Fletcher to kind of help from a sort of coaching standpoint, but it does feel, especially with the under-20s going in this massive run of um, losses, it does feel like the rugby side or, or the sort of non-professional rugby side of the SOU has been neglected, especially during the last kind of five to six years. Well, there'll be plenty of opportunities to continue talking about Mark Dodson as we do have that um, as we do have that extension now. And there's already, based on this tour, an awful lot of questions of where the hell are Scotland running into this Rugby World Cup? Just one tiny other piece of news. Um, Hugh Jones has finally done an official video with Glasgow putting paid to rumours that he was actually also courting Stade Francais. Matt, sort of putting to, putting the end to a little bit of a saga, I guess Hugh Jones and the Scottish rugby public can focus on him sort of getting back up here and playing rugby again. Yeah, I did see that Ollie Kebble had posted a, a thing on, on Twitter of him and Hugh Jones, I think, cracking up a bottle of champagne together, which I took to be a a good sign that obviously Glasgow released this video showing Hugh Jones uh, in, in, in training. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's obviously really positive news for Glasgow in a period when they haven't had much uh, much to shout about. Um, still not 100% sure that a sort of centre back three player is what they really need at the moment. But as I say, if he, if he had moved to Stade Francais, which I, I don't know where that rumour really came from. But considering he, um, you know, only joined Harlequins because he pulled out of that Breathe deal back in the day, you know, 
wouldn't have been that that surprised, I, I suppose. It, it also seemed from the video that he did that to to announce the sort of signing, there, there didn't appear to be much clarity about what position he was going to be utilised by, by Glasgow. I think he sort of talked about how he sort of tried out a few different positions. So again, it's... It's definitely not one of these signings where you sort of see it and you can very clearly see how it fits into kind of the overall squad development. It'll be interesting to see, especially with the new coach coming in, how they want to deploy him, given the fact that Ollie Smith is was playing so well at the back end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And we will have to see who that head coach is and we will be uh, reporting on that as soon as we have it. Um, right, let's get down South America way to Scotland versus Argentina, the first of three tests. Scotland going down eventually 26 18. Um, Alan, why don't you give us a little bit of that overview? How did you feel about it? I know you were you were watching it after sort of a tough uh 48 hours of looking after your kid on your own. So, was it a nice sort of release? Is that the best way to relax after that sort of hard graft of single parenting? Absolutely not. I had sort of like a 30-minute <laughs> gap between putting Freya down and watching the match, and that was like by far the most relaxing period of the weekend. Um, but no, it, I don't know. It was a difficult one. There was um, I saw a few comments online saying that you sort of come out of that match and really struggle to see what Scotland are trying to do or where they've sort of come from over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And I think it's sort of a pretty fair summary. I think when you look at both defence and attack, in defence, there were some stats that came out about how the number of points that Scotland are conceding has continued to increase over the last couple of years since, obviously, the great start that we had when Steve Tandy came in in 2020. And I think it was very clear from that match that the Scotland defence in general was just a bit passive and Argentina were able to make easy yards, which which isn't something that we've been saying about Scotland, especially over the last couple of years. And then... In attack, obviously, Kinghorn is is the big talking point. And I think it's pretty fair to say that in the first half, he had a game to forget, both in terms of how he was sort of putting kind of the shape together, but also just a few sort of just basic errors around sort of passing. But then again, with Kinghorn, you get kind of the, the rough of the smooth. So in the second half, you know, both tries, Kinghorn had a pretty vital part in in the creating them so yeah not not the best and I think actually both in attack and defense there's kind of big questions of the Scotland team moving into that second match stick sticking on that conversation topic of, of Kinghorn Matt um, obviously looking ahead to the second test there only really is the option of, of Ross Thompson I mean where do you sit on the sort of the pros and cons of the Kinghorn debate is it just is it this summer that we just have to give him the give him the reins and you know expect that he's going to get better remembering that he's only actually played three games at 10 for Scotland yeah I think that there is an element of you know he has primarily been a back three player through his whole career um you know he has been playing pretty well for Edinburgh in that position this season but ultimately for Scotland has only played now Tonga which is a training run Ireland when I, I don't think anyone would have really done that well um, in difficult circumstances and now Argentina. Um, I think in terms of the next game, I think Tanzan's made a bit of a rod for his own back in terms of backing Kinghorn. So you'd like to see a bit of consistency there. Unfortunate that 
Hastings is injured because you'd maybe expect him to to be pushing for that chance for that for that position. Um, Thompson, I just think is too much of a of a risk. I, I I think he's got a lot of promise, but particularly towards the back end of the season, hasn't really been playing that well. And you think about sort of chucking him in against that Argentina back row of like Matera, um, etc. It's a pretty big ask. Um, but yeah, there's obviously there's been like tons of debate on. I think this week Alan t- tweeted about you know, whether we play Kinghorn or not in this next test. And I think it's sort of like generated some of the most debate of a tweet in quite a while that we've put out. I, I just still have the position that, uh, that all the things that he does well, as Alan mentioned, the, the smooth in the second half, that's just his back three and general rugby playing ability. Um, and you can, I still think you can get that from him as a second distributor popping up in general play. It's it's the basics of standoff play that he doesn't have in terms of control, etc. Um, doing the simple things well, and I feel so close to a World Cup, you know, just over a year away. Expecting expecting him to develop all of that is, I don't know, seems like a, a a big a big call really. I feel a little bit bad for Tunney because I feel like Kinghorn's being sort of used as a slammer, sledgehammer to, to batter him with. And I think ultimately, you sort of touched on it a little bit, you know, Mike Blair was the sort of driving force behind putting Blair Kinghorn at 10. I'm, I know, I think Scotland probably had had a viewpoint in a say, but clearly Mike Blair wants to have Blair Kinghorn as his starting 10 and has, and Blair Kinghorn has been that starting 10 for Edinburgh across the whole of the season. So to your point, once you get to the situation where actually the only two tens Tooney has to choose from are Kinghorn and Thompson, it actually feels like when you look back at the rest of the season and kind of where they're at in their development, that Kinghorn feels like the logical choice. Now, there's obviously the broader point about whether Kinghorn should be a 10, but actually in terms of Tooney's choices right now, it feels like Kinghorn at 10 is the correct option. But I, I thought that Blair playing... Kinghorn at 10 was a bit of a top-down directive from the SRU because Townsend liked this idea of having Kinghorn on, once once again, not starting 10, but as a bench option so they could go for a 6-2 split. Um, And in in doing so, I I think Blair probably said, yeah, I like him. He would suit our style of play. But in doing so, you have ultimately probably like completely removed definitely Jacko from the Scotland conversation and to a lesser extent, someone like Nathan Chamberlain. Now I'm, I'm not saying that either of them are better options than Kinghorn, but in the long term, but probably in the short term, I would probably rather have someone like Jacko as your third, fourth choice standoff and then Kinghorn as a second choice back three. I think that uses their abilities best. I guess the again the the point with Kinghorn and and is the ceiling, and I think if you sort of look back to the start of last season, if you had sort of put forward the season that Kinghorn has had for Edinburgh, I think you would say that that's actually a pretty good season in terms of his development as a ten coming from a place where he hadn't really played ten since he was sort of eighteen years old. So I don't know. I, I do understand what you mean that in the moment potentially Jacko is is the right option, but. I still think that both for Edinburgh and for Scotland more generally, that 
King Horn obviously is a longer term project and that that potential potentially outweighs sometimes the here and now. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, 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 I'd be very surprised if Thompson comes in for the second. I think King Horn is going to be given three three tests in a row. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, but we will of course see. You never know with the Tuni Tom Buller. Alan, you mentioned at the top, obviously this not being able to compete physically over those sort of 80 minutes against this Argentinian pack. An awful lot of experience in that Argentinian pack, and not a sort of full bore Scotland. Is there anything that you can see Scotland changing or sort of needing to improve it heading into the second test? Well. I know it wasn't a full strength Scotland team, but when actually you look at the size of the team, you sort of got that back row of Bradbury, Crosby, Ferguson, appreciate Ferguson's not the biggest eight, but two pretty big abrasive, or you would hope to be abrasive flankers with sort of Gray, Gilchrist in, in the row. And I think they did bring that size, but, and it's, it's a perennial problem for Scotland for the last sort of, I would say decade, is we have players that, potentially have the size but when you compare them especially to sort of a lot of the Irish forwards they just don't seem to bring that level uh, I use the word racive a lot but it's just that ability to kind of make dominant tackles get over the gain line which we still continue to struggle with and we don't really have a lot of players that seem to be able to bring that um, to the match, Crosby. There was a couple of moments where Crosby, especially, was was sort of showing glimpses. But again, we just struggled to have that sort of consistency over the the eighty minutes, and it felt in a lot of moments like we were losing that game line battle. So who would you who would you bring in um, for the next weekend if there's any any options out there? Well, Watson. And I thought Darge was pretty strong when he sort of came on. It's um, I would potentially look to switch out both flankers. And, you know, I'm still a fan of potentially having Watson and Darge on, on both flanks, especially if you have Figs in there, who can still sort of remain as, as, a, as a liner option. I, my only concern with Gil, the thing with Gilchrist and Gray, and I think this was sort of shown in the match, is clearly we had a pretty strong sort of line out. But I do think that both, again, going back to that point about just their ability to get over the game line and to make dominant hits, they're both the sort of players that will make carries and will make successful tackles all day long. But both struggle, I think, to sometimes kind of physically dominate their opposite man or the, the forward pack they're sort of playing against. And I wonder whether Skinner maybe just gives you that little bit more edge. So potentially look to bring in Skinner for Gray because it feels like Gilchrist in his captain now is going to be there across the three tests. Yeah, I think I, I wouldn't mind Skinner in there. I think he's both physical and a, a canny operator as well. I, I suppose if you do bring in Watson and Darge, it, is, it, it does change the, com, the complexion of the back row like quite a lot versus Crosby and Bradbury. Um, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, but... And I think maybe if he, if he does do that, it kind of sums up that I just don't think Townsend is 100% sure, the players are 100% sure what kind of style and approach they want to take to the game. And that's probably been an ongoing issue for, for, for a number of years now. We sort of seem to have, as you mentioned before, Alan, like flip-flop between playing fast and loose to tighten things up to that not being enough to win games. Um, 
yeah yeah i don't know if we're being like i take a step back and and the fact that we're missing russell hogg harris richie like arguably four of our best players four of our like definite starters against argentina who we've got used to beating but ultimately can like field a team of proven like premiership top 14 now super rugby winners with a new coach checker playing at home for the first time properly in, in quite a few years like maybe we're being a little bit harsh but i, I do think that, you know the the i think if scotland had lost same result but had played a lot better the the sentiment wouldn't be quite so bad i think I think with the backs, I think it's a fair, fair comment. I, I do think with the forwards, you know, ultimately it's probably only Richie and Watson that were that were missing. And I think what what this game showed, and and maybe this will be solved in the next couple of games, was just how much of a loss Richie is. I think more than more than any player, he just brings that sort of edge and competitiveness and and desire that just felt was lacking a little bit from from the four pack, especially sort of around the breakdown and in those kind of tight areas. Um, but I agree on the back on the backs. I think potentially we it was, shouldn't have been unexpected that given how sort of fresh and new a back line it was, that especially in that first half, they sort of struggled to gel. Yeah, it does seem that this result has sort of kicked off a little bit of, um, well, Existential threat is um, something that sort of looms over Scottish rugby, but this one in particular does seem to have sort of bounced everybody a little bit much. But hey, we might we might come back two games to go. I mean, I think we've covered most of it, um, but maybe in that backline map, anything that you'd like to see changed? I mean, a lot of talk about Roy Hutchinson showing some very nice touches from fullback, but do we need to get him on the ball a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think there was some sort of debate around whether he should be playing fullback when he's been playing 12 all year, but maybe there was a sense that Ollie Smith is not, not quite ready, which I, I do understand. Um, I, I, I would rather see him at 12 just because I think that is his best position. And also for whatever reason, I, I can't remember the last time Sam Johnson's had a really good game for, for Scotland from 12. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think to be fair, the weekend, like, his his carrying was was okay, but um, I think if you have someone like Kinghorn there, who at his best can get a backline going, then you want a twelve that can distribute and and create. And I'm looking at the stats now. Johnson passed the ball two times at the weekend. Um, now I'm not saying that's necessarily his his fault. Maybe that was part of the plan. But I do feel like Hutchinson can offer a lot more. And ultimately, I think. The whole game, like Duhan touched the ball, like he had two two runs in the whole game, two touches. Like, what's what's the point in playing him, one of our um, you know best attackers, if we can't get him in the game? And I think that that was a problem in the Six Nations. We well. it into the midfield. I think we've got a better chance of of bringing those those guys in in into the game. Um, and I, yeah, I just think that. You know, Kinghorn, Hutchinson, Bennett, I think at its best could cause quite a lot of trouble for Argentina. Alan, any changes from you in the back line? No, sort of broadly broadly agree. I thought Hutchinson um, was probably our strongest player 
especially in the backs. And I think sort of Bennett showed enough, especially in sort of taking his try. I think that that try specifically was probably an example of what Bennett can bring that maybe someone like Harris can't. I, I imagine that if Harris had been in the yeah. same position, he probably would have been caught, whereas Bennett's just got that slightly um, higher gear that he can sort of take. Some, he's quite good at doing that drift on the outside, and then he's got the pace to sort of um, take the space. I, I sort of lean towards what Matt was saying, which I would like to see Rory Hutchinson coming in at 12. I would like to see them utilising Duhan a lot more and sort of I appreciate that there's a worry about not having those kind of ball on it, people to be able to sort of um, smash it up. But ultimately, if you can bring use Duhan off your wing, I think Bennett can hit those hard lines pretty well, even though he might not have the size. And then I, I'd be pretty happy to bring Ollie Smith in at 15. I think ultimately, you know, an away test series in Argentina feels like exactly the right sort of environment to try and see what he has. Because I, I do think he is a top top quality player and I think he is a proper sort of 15 as well so no I think probably agree bring Hutchinson in I think that helps with Kinghorn helps with creativity and then get Ollie Smith in a back three with Duhan and Darcy who are both pretty experienced I don't think it'll happen though I think it'll stick with Sam <laughs> Um yeah well who, who knows I agree with you on Ollie Smith I think everything we've seen you suggest, yes, he's raw, but he does need a chance. And why the hell not play a 15 at 15 just for a little treat? Um, couple of little tweets um, tangentially related to the conversation um, just to finish us off. How about this one from Derek Matheson at Dingo Derek? Can, and I'll direct this one to Matt, why not? Can you see any scenario where Scotland qualify from our World Cup group? There's an awful lot of positivity out there in the world this morning. Um, yeah, I, I struggle to see that scenario. <laughs> I, I mean, the the only thing is, having watched Ireland at the weekend, they love to peak too early for a World Cup. But I still think they, even if they peak too early, they will still have far too much for for Scotland and South Africa. I just cannot see us beating you know, 99 times out of 100. Um, you know, you- may, maybe maybe we have some sort of like weird downing tools scenario where like Hogg, Russell, um, Watson, Price, Duhan all just sort of like club together, start playing this like, everything starts to come together and start playing this like worldy brand of like fuck it rugby. But yeah I don't know I think that's very wishful thinking I thought you were going to suggest that they all go on like a general strike to push out Tooney when you were like sort of a that's the because uh, that links yeah, to the question get, um, I was going to ask you Alan yeah get, get Mike get Mike Lynch in as the as the head coach and then yeah Mick Lynch from good, the RMD yeah yeah I think they'll be in quite a good position actually love to see Finn, Finn Russell doing like the picket line at Murrayfield <laughs> It is like with a couple of Heinekens in his hand. Exactly. And Alan, why don't we finish on this one from Gregor Massey? He's related. If it goes tits up this summer and and in the autumn, do we have to consider that Tooney isn't the man to take us to the World Cup? It's, you know, I, I think we've gone too far now. 
<laughs> I think if you were going to do it, it had to be done at the Six Nations. I just feel like you can't you can't be dropping someone less than twelve months out of a World Cup. Um, Warren Gatland, little Christmas present comes in in December. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Um, I just don't know how well. I know we talk about sort of Finn and um, Tooney not sort of potato yeah. sort of working together. I'm not sure whether Gatland makes that situation any better. It's but it's a struggle, you know. I, 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 you know, back to sort of the earlier question. I just don't, at the moment, can't envisage a world where we get through that group. And I, I wonder whether I do sometimes think back to you know that sort of original strategy of trying to play the, the fastest brand of rugby in the world. And there's sometimes a part of me thinks that whether it wasn't that the, the strategy was wrong, it was just the execution wasn't wasn't great. I think when you look at what Japan did at the World Cup three years ago and the way they played like a very unique style of rugby to beat teams that ultimately were physically more dominant than them. I, I still wonder whether we've gone a little bit too far the other way, but, um, but no, I think even if, unless, unless we were to lose to, is it, well, I don't know which one of the Pacific Island, if we, if we were to lose all four Ottoman international matches mm. and like badly, then maybe you sort of rate you sort of call Vern Cotter over and you just give him a 12 month contract and he like knows everyone. But apart from that, I think you just got to stick with two needs of the World Cup. Well, on that note, um, we'll be back next week um, to have a look back at the second test in Argentina with Scotland. Hopefully, manage to get themselves back up on the horse and set up a decider in a couple of weeks time um until then follow us on twitter at thistle rugby pod on instagram thistle underscore rugby underscore pod and sign up to that newsletter that's on substack thistle scottish rugby podcast and we will speak to you very soon cheers hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.